You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I usually love to stay in the foyer because I get to meet people. I like to hug people. You know, that's, uh, I came from a family that always wanted to hug each other. And, and uh, so uh, my thing is being out there, not here. And I love doing that. Um, I have come to the point where I know each one of you and when you walk into the church I'm almost to the point where I can say where you're coming from like are you having a good day you're having a bad day you know I know the folks that want a hug and I know the folks that do you know he hasn't had a bath this morning but you know we get to know each other and you know and, and, and that's a good thing I love to be here you know, it says that one turkey to another. Do you think that there is life after Thanksgiving? Uh, and <laughs> did you know that the universal key to having a, to a lovely Thanksgiving is the turkey? Uh, what about what does a disappointed mama turkey tell her kids? Uh, if your father were to see you now, he would be turning over in his gravy. Weeks into November, the head turkey turns to his second in command and says, I have a feeling something's going down. The farmer just unfriended me on Facebook. <laughs> what did the turkey say before he was roasted? Okay, spare me no insults, roast me. Uh, there's another nice one here. Why did the policeman arrest the turkey? It says they suspected foul play. Why did the turkey cross the road twice to prove he wasn't a chicken? <laughs> Who is not hungry on Thanksgiving? The turkey because it's already stuffed. <laughs> so apparently they made a turkey phone. So what do you think a turkey phone sounds like? Wing, 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 wing. <laughs> Talking about phones, you know, I come from a home, you know, I married a woman who wants to make people laugh in the house. Uh, she went to Australia for a couple of weeks and, and the house was silent. The, the cockroaches were coming out and asking, where is your wife? It's, too, it's just too quiet here. So the other day she was sitting at the table and, you know, in the morning I look at stocks. I have some apple stocks at the recommendation of... Uh, of uh, my sister there, um, <clears throat> Sister Esther, and the stock's doing pretty well, but you know, like every other stock, one day it's up, the next day it's down, and you know, you got to know when to sell it, and so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm having my cup of tea, and my wife has just come back from Australia, she's curled up in a chair, and she says, you know, so how's the stock doing? And I have this humongous amount of Apple stock, which is doing really well, but it so happens to be not a good day for Apple, so I'm I'm in, a, in that glum kind of mood and she has this tendency to make people laugh and she, she wants to make me laugh so she says, so uh, I hear they released an Apple 10. I said, yeah. Uh, so what happened to 9? And I said, I don't know, I don't work for Apple because my mind is somewhere else, you know. And then she's laughing in this, she's curled up in our dining table, in a dining chair and she's laughing and she's telling me, well, 7, 8, 9. I said, yeah, I know how to count too, so what's the big deal? <laughs> And she's laughing and she's not telling me the joke. And she says, well, seven, eight, nine. I said, okay. 
So what's so funny about it? This is verse 7, A-T-E-9. I said, okay, well, uh, so there you go. That's what happens in our household in the morning. But regardless, she makes us all happy. And I love to be around her. Today we're going to talk about, we're in the book of Philippians, and uh, um, we've been studying that for about four or five weeks, and some of you have not been here, so let me give you some background. Uh, Paul and Timothy are getting ready to uh, launch out on their journey into Asia, and they uh, move into, in that direction, but the Holy Spirit keeps closing doors. He says, no, don't go there. No, don't preach the gospel here. No, don't do this, don't do that. And so they come to a point where Paul has a, a dream, and this man from Macedonia says, you come on over here, we need you here. So they head back into uh, the area of Macedonia, and when they get to Macedonia, they come to a place called Philippi, which is the, like the prominent city in the region of Macedonia. And they come out there, they don't know where they're going, but they're there, and they're doing their thing, and on a Sabbath day, Paul and Timothy go to this uh, riverside, hoping that they are, they'll meet people who are coming to pray, to seek the Lord. And they do, they meet a crowd of women. And in this crowd of women is a woman by the name of Lydia. Uh, God has a, a very good sense of humor. Somehow or the other, it's always the woman that comes up and does ministry, right? So anyway, Lydia is there. She's a businesswoman. So all you ladies, you can get into business too. She's a businesswoman. She is trading in cloth. She's selling fine linen. And this woman receives Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And she goes further on and says, hey, would you like to come and stay in my home? And the art of entertaining uh, missionaries is no longer here. But in those days, uh, they, if, if a man of God shows up, everybody wants him to be in their house. In fact, my wife and I do that all the time. When we see a man of God, we say, hey, would you come and spend a few days in our home? Because, you know, the very presence of a man of God in your house is a blessing indeed. So Lydia calls him in, and guess what? Uh, he's there, he goes, he stays with her, and they're doing ministry, and he does something that he's not supposed to do. So at that time, they had fortune tellers, and these fortune tellers actually made money for their owners. So they would bring these fortune tellers together, and they would say, okay, uh, tell this man's fortune. They charge them money, make them very, very rich. In fact, today we have fortune tellers too. But, you know, each fortune teller is possessed with some kind of a, some kind of a demon. Okay? That's why we ask not to go to fortune tellers because, you know, you, you, if you are taking direction from God, don't take a direction from another spirit. But this uh, woman who is possessed is following Paul and Timothy around and she's being a nuisance. She says, these are men from God. So she's not actually saying something bad, but she's just being a nuisance. You know how some people follow you around and they're just, you want to say, shut up for a moment, would you? But they're being a nuisance. So Paul turns on to her and says, hey, get out of that woman. And she, he casts out the demon because it's a demon in her that's causing this nuisance. Well, guess what happens to the fortune-telling capabilities of this woman? goes out with the demon. The trader is not happy, so he goes to the magistrate or the authorities there in, uh, in Philippi and he says, there is this guy, he's putting out our business, he's asked, talking about a gospel that we are not supposed to do after all. We are Romans and this is contrary to what we should, he should be doing. So they take him, beat him up, and put, they put him in jail. Big mistake. Because Paul 
you know, when he travels, he doesn't ask, how's the Hilton? How's the Hilton in that city? He asks the question, how's the jail in that city? Because this guy, jail is his home, right? We find out later on. So they put him in jail, and he's there. He's singing songs, hymns, and praying. And of course, God has work for Paul to do. He sends in an earthquake, opens up the jail, and the jailer who's in charge of this jail gets very upset. In fact, he wants to kill himself because he's in charge of these people, and the gate, jail is open. They can go anywhere they want to. And he's attempting to commit suicide, and Paul says, hey, wait a minute, don't worry about that. Don't do that. We are all fine. We are still here in your jail. So he's amazed at this whole experience. He calls Paul to, and Timothy takes him outside and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, okay, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household and you all will be saved. So the man does that. He's so overjoyed that he takes him home. Once again, another home for Paul. He washes them up because there's, there, there's blood on their bodies. They, they, the Bible says they washed them, took him home and fed them and they had a celebration. This is an amazing celebration because the whole household is saved and this household basically becomes the second life group that Pastor Paul starts off in Philippi. Two life groups in this one visit. This life group, eventually these two combined together, starts off the first church in Philippi, a very successful and vibrant church in the region of Philippi. What's important about this is that Philippi is the gateway into the Roman Empire at that time, which, was, which we now call Europe. The gospel has entered into Europe. Amazing, isn't it? A price paid, but through two different people, two life groups, a church is born. So why am I saying this to you? This is background, but there is something more important than that. And that is that, you know, if God is calling you to open your home to hold the life, host the life group in our church, do that because you never know. You may be launching a church right there in your home. Okay? The church is close to Paul's heart. So this church has started and the church is very close to his heart. He knows these people. He lived in their home. He knows their troubles. He knows what their experience is all about. He identifies with these folks. It's like me and you, you know, I know some of you, what you're going through. And he has this kindred love for this, this church because that's the first church he started in this area. And so later on in his journey, he, as I told you before, he is constantly being put in prison, right? He is in prison again. This time it's serious offenses, pretty much the same, but there's a chance that he, could, that he could end there. While he is there in the old days in Rome, when you are in prison, you didn't get the, the prisons were very different to the prisons here today. You, somebody had to sponsor you while you were in the prison, or else you didn't get food. You didn't get anything much, much to wear. You couldn't do anything in the prison, in the area of comfort, unless somebody from the outside actually paid for it. The church in Philippi, this particular church, finds out that Paul is in prison. They do a collection and they send it to Paul. This is not the first time they've sent it. They've sent it many times. So an elder of the church takes this offering and goes down to meet Paul in the jail. And while he's there, he updates Paul on what's going on. It's, it's kind of like 
he tells them, hey, these are the issues that are going on in the church. These are the good things and these are the bad things. And it compels Paul to write this letter, which we know as the book of Philippians. Okay? He writes this letter to the church. Just think about Pastor Tell. He hears how we are doing and then he writes to the church, to us, and he says, hey, my dearly beloved folk, let me remind you why we get together each week and gently correct us in love. He, correct, he writes a letter to us, a love letter, to become emotionally healthy people who can resolve our conflicts and live in joy and harmony. He wants us to be happy people being the good example that others may want to follow. Paul is now writing to them from a Roman jail. And we pick this up on ch in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. That's the segment we're going to look at today. It reads like this. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my crown, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, Dear friends, I urge Eudia and I urge Synthachi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partners, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So let's break this down. I was, I was you know, he and I didn't talk about what he was talking about, but when he quoted from Thessalonians, that was, that was something special for me, because that verse in Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, is embedded in this letter. And Paul, this is his continuous call to us. You know, rejoice in the Lord always. Know who you are. So then, my dearly beloved, and long for brothers and sisters, the word so and then, and the word therefore is always used when they are referring to a verse that they've mentioned before. What he said in the last few verses of chapter 3 is, we are to anticipate the coming of the Lord and behave like we are citizens of heaven. He's asking us to behave just like we were in heaven. Most of us pray the Lord's Prayer and we say things like, Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. We say it, but we don't live like it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven in that we should be treating each other as, as we would treat each other in heaven. How would you treat each other in heaven? We are to live in harmony with each other. The philosophy of our life must be centered in Jesus Christ. The pattern of our life must be conformed to that of Jesus Christ. The purpose of our life must be changed, must be changed by Jesus Christ. The peace and joy of our life must be in Jesus Christ. Any display of disunity, tensions, is contradictory to what Christ taught us. If you do not get along with each other, it will affect 
your personal joy in the Lord. Uh, today I'm not speaking to you right from the Bible, I'm also speaking to you from experience to say that that verse is very true. When you're in attention, you're not in the joy of the Lord. He goes on to refer to this community of believers as his joy and crown. He uses similar verbiage in 1 Thessalonians 2.19 For who is our hope, our joy, our crown, of boasting in the presence of the Lord Jesus in, the, in his coming? Is it not you? In the days of Paul, you know, if you got into a, a competition and you were in a race, if you won this race, they recognized your victory by putting on a, a wreath around your head. And this wreath represented your achievement. Paul is referring to the church, the folks in the church in Philippi, as his crown that he would have to boast about when he meets Jesus Christ. After he has run the race, fought it well, when he meets Jesus, this is what he's saying, hey, look at my crown. It's the church in Philippi. It's like Pastor Thel saying, hey, look at my crown. It's New Life Center in Norwalk and Harbor City. And the churches in the Philippines. When Jesus returns, what are we going to boast about? What are you going to boast about? Is it not the people that we were instrumental in bringing to the kingdom? Have you given much thought as to what your conversation is going to be like with Jesus when you meet him? All of you are going to meet him someday. What's your conversation going to be like? We must never stop speaking the good news of salvation because that is all we have to boast about. It's not about the TV we had. It's not about the car. He's not going to be interested in that. It's not about how much money you made in your lifetime. It's about who you led to led, brought into the kingdom with you. That he would be interested in. So then my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. There were folks in this Philippi church, like in every church, in our, even in our present time, that were teaching things that are very legalistic, things that really didn't matter. And this was causing tensions. Paul wanted us, Paul wanted the church in Philippi to be stay focused on what he taught them. If Paul was to write to our church today, that message would read something like this. Dearly beloved, study your Bible diligently so that you may know the truth so that when a false doctrine is being taught, you will be able to recognize it and steer away from that thought. To know the truth of the word is your personal responsibility. Let me stop there for a minute. We sometimes come to church and we have this notion that uh, let me go to church to learn something. Actually, it's the other way around. Learning the Bible and reading it is your personal responsibility. So when you come to church on a Sunday, why do you listen to a sermon like this? It's to awaken what you have already studied. It's to inspire you to, into action of the things that you have read and studied before. So there is a personal thing that you need to be doing daily. We call it daily devotions, but you need to be in the Word. And this is the reason why. So you won't get caught up in nonsense. We are given the Holy Spirit to help with understanding the Word. It is good for you to listen to sermons and teachings on YouTube and, and TBN and 
we, my wife and I, we love to listen to stuff like that. However, you need to be reading the word as well and stand firm in what you know to be true. Now, you don't need to create conflict and by condemning people who are teaching bad things because that, then you are creating an issue, right? You don't need to do that. You just don't believe what they say. Just don't believe it. Don't believe anything false. If you know your Bible, you will be able to learn from the good teachings and ignore the bad ones. Apparently there were two women in the church that were quarreling and it was affecting the whole fellowship. He says to them in verse 2, I urge Eudia and, and I urge Synthetchi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partners, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. These are not strange women. These are people that are born-again Christians. These are people that have worked beside me. These are people, important people in our church. But they're having this issue. Along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life, these people are saved. They're on their way to heaven. But look at them. They're having issues. Today, if Paul was here, I'd say, hey, send them to an EHS class. Let them become emotionally healthy. But Paul calls them out, and he names it in a very public letter, asking them to get in together and get along. This is a serious situation, as in any conflict situation in a church. When there is conflict in the church, it is a serious situation. And Paul doesn't hesitate to write it in his letter. For eternity, these two names are there as two people who are causing a conflict in the church in Philippi. And he's cautioned to them, hey, women, I'm sorry, could have been a man. But in this case, it's women. But the point is, Paul is saying, hey, if there is conflict in the church, that's a serious situation. Bring it up, even publicly if you have to. Take it down. There is no room for conflict in a church. Absolutely none. That is what true leadership does. They observe what's harming the crowd, what's causing division, and address it in whatever way and means available. He makes a plea to those who are mature in Christ. You know the guys who say, I've been in the church for many years? He's pleading to them. And he says, help them out. You know, what's the use of your maturity? Step up and help these women sort things out. Don't sit on the sidelines and let it fester. It is disgraceful when true believers behave this way. Disagreements should be short-lived and promptly resolved. I have been a witness to this, uh, to many conflicts in our church through the years. So I'm not, uh, I'm not speaking from a place where I don't know what I'm talking about. I was also a party to a conflict. Surprise, surprise. I, I had a disagreement. I'd like to talk about somebody else's disagreement, but let me talk about mine. I had a disagreement with a co-laborer about certain programs we had in the church. Huge issue. Now, my motive was very good. You know, I was thinking about the interests of the church. Very quickly, we had two sides forming in the church, ripping the church into two. Two segments. It was becoming very ugly, with lots of gossip going around, people second-guessing my moves, <laughs> lying about stuff. I don't think anyone got saved during that season. It was a dark moment in our church, 
and I was right in the center of it. I can say now today that I was actually driving it. All our time was consumed in meetings and discussions. So much so that we had forgotten how to behave like brothers. We had forgotten who we were. It was a time when I could not pray. I had lost the joy of engaging in ministry. And I had lost the joy of the Lord. One Sunday morning, Pastor Thel spoke to me before the service in a very short conversation, which probably lasted a full, maybe two minutes. He gave me an ultimatum. I left his office upstairs knowing that this situation had to come to an end. I approached the leader of the other side and apologized in order to keep the peace and restore the harmony in the church. I made peace for that reason. I still thought I was right, but the time being, for the time being, I was willing to shelve the thought and embrace the more important things in life of the church. About a year later, I realized I was wrong and actually extended my heartfelt apology to the individual being careful to do it in the presence of those whom I trusted. So it was in a crowd I actually apologized. I have come to understand that the devil will bring up petty ideas and thoughts and use them to tickle our pride into causing havoc in the church. I now know that when you are in conflict, you get blinded, blinded to the truth, blinded to what's reasonable. Every time you are in conflict, take care of it right away. Someone once said that happiness is not absence of conflict, but the ability to cope with it. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says this, and we use this in our house. And, you know, when my wife and I have a disagreement, uh, she's always right, I'm always wrong. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, you, you know, uh, that's because I, I need to be happy at home when I go home. Um, <clears throat> but, but the truth of the matter is that when we have a disagreement, because I am the older person, and I am the more mature person. I take the initiative to follow this. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says this. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Right? It says don't let the sun go down on your anger. This is very true indeed. Make up right away and God will honor your, what you did. And let me tell you how this works out. Usually, I'll use my wife and me because we're very transparent. We, we live in an open house. We have life groups in our home. People know what goes on in our house. And uh, we'll have a disagreement. And before we go to sleep, I will turn around to her and say, I'm sorry. Uh, and she will, she'll be very happy with that apology because she's right. <laughs> right? And, and I'll say, ha-ha, I go to sleep, I have a great night because, you know, I said my sorry, I'm, I'm done with this deal, I'm, you know, it's all good. <laughs> Next morning she will come and say, I'm very sorry I was wrong. Uh, not exactly in those words because she, she doesn't use that language, but she will tell me she is sorry. So it takes her a while to process that apology. But I take the initiative 
to say, hey, I'm wrong, in which sense I open the door for her to process that and then come back to me and say, I was wrong. Okay? And it's a win-win, isn't it? We both go to sleep very well, we're okay. We wake up in the morning and I'm happier than I went to sleep the night before because she's told me now she's wrong. Isn't that marvelous? So, so let me say that again. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It's an important verse. Make it a thing in your home. Write it on your wall. Put it on the front of your doorpost or something that you might remember. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Okay? So if you're a man, let me talk to you. You're the man of the house. You man up. What that means is that if you're the man and you fight it and you fight it all day long and she ain't giving in, you haven't got dinner, nothing's on the table, you're in the doghouse and you're fighting this thing, <laughs> right? Before you, that, before you go to bed, just tell her, hey, sweetheart, I'm sorry. Okay? We're done with this. Okay? No more conversation. Just try it. You just try it, okay? When you go home, you try it. I mean, if you're from one of those families that never have arguments, you don't have to worry about what I'm saying. But our family has arguments all the time. And, and we have healthy arguments, right? That's why we're married together for 27 years, going on 28 years. I think when you don't talk, there's a chance that you might never survive that long, isn't it? You've got to be talking and having a good dialogue. But make sure that your dialogue ends. Young people, you know, you a lot of young people here, when you get married, remember that. Okay? Write it on your doorpost. Big letters. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Make up. Go to that person, especially the men. You start it. You initiate it. You go and say, I'm sorry. And then watch what the Lord does with that person, okay? And I bet you he'll do the same thing he does with my wife. He will. <laughs> The takeaway from that conflict, the takeaway from that conflict and learning experience was to recognize what such things as conflict is present and, you know, you recognize when there is conflict and nip it in the bud. You recognize it. It makes it a lot easier when you've been there and done that, isn't it? You see a conflict coming up, cut it right off. Don't think about the price you're paying, because I'll tell you what, if you allow conflict to go through and, and become real in the life of the church, you will lose more people than that one person you're going to say, hey, you quit that, or you ship out. You understand what I'm saying? I know that's a hard thing for a pastor to say, but I want you to know that we practice that here. Who did he practice with? I think it's with me. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it worked, didn't it? We must stay focused on the mission. And remember why we are here as a community of believers. That's our mission. Sometimes we go looking for trouble. We want to say things, get ourselves in trouble. That's not good. Just don't trouble trouble till trouble troubles you. Will you say that with me? Don't trouble trouble till trouble troubles you. When I married my wife, (laughs) 
I had to teach her this. <laughs> because she had a large family. You know, Filipino families are large. They're like 14 brothers and sisters. I got three. We have a party in the house, you know, you can only invite the family, you can't invite anybody else. Because each of the 14 have another five kids and maybe six and you know, you multiply and it goes on and on and on. So I had to teach her, you know, when you come from a big family, you have a lot of problems. And I said, tell her, don't, don't trouble, trouble till trouble troubles you. Okay? It's a good thing to know. And, um, and culturally that didn't sit well with her, but, but she, you know, she, she's a good wife. Um, <clears throat> and <laughs> is laughing. <laughs> then Paul moves on to his final admonition. Admonition: Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again: Rejoice. Always. You know that that word "rejoice" doesn't mean. Just rejoice occasionally. It means rejoicing. The, uh, the, the terminology in the translation, I wish I was translating this, but, but it is rejoicing always. It's, it's a moment that's continuous. It's not just that one event of rejoicing. Paul reminds us that in everything we should rejoice in, in what? In the Lord. That means when you come to church and you cannot worship, when life hands you a bad hand, think of God's goodness. We fail to rejoice because we try to rejoice in the people we know, right? When we're in trouble, we go to people and we, we go to the person and say, help me, help me rejoice, you know, make me happy. But that's not where your happiness comes from. It comes from the Lord, in your relationship. Okay? We depend on people and our circumstances are not in the Lord. When life hands us a lemon, let's make lemonade. Right? That's actually a title of a book that I read some time ago. Uh, yeah, when you're unhappy, ask yourself some questions. Are you unhappy this morning? Ask yourself this question. It's important. Ask yourself. Okay? Why don't I have... I know Jesus and he is the Prince of Peace. So how come I'm not... I don't have peace. Maybe you need to be a peacemaker. Right? If God is love, how come I don't experience this love everybody's talking about? You know, the lovey-dovey fellowship. Maybe you need to love somebody other than yourself. Are you lonely? Perhaps you need to be a friend to somebody. Right? Step outside and become a friend to somebody. We are asked to constantly rejoice. We are to rejoice in the Lord when we are up and when we are down because of the hope that is in us. Okay? We are to rejoice in every circumstance because we truly believe in God's plan for our lives. We need to remind ourselves daily of the fact that we need to live rejoicing. I go to the mirror in my restroom some mornings. Now, this, now, don't laugh at me, but this is something I do, and it seems to work for me. I mean, I got money in the bank. This is not about prosperity, okay? So don't nail me to the cross here. 
But I go to my mirror in my restroom some mornings and I look myself in the eye and I tell myself, Pastor Asunta, you are going to have a good day today. You will have much to rejoice over because God has a good plan for you. So walk in obedience to his word and rejoice in every circumstance that you are placed in today. Right? You will be a good testimony of God's goodness. And the joy of the Lord will be with you. You know the days I forget, I get into all kinds of problems. I say this to myself. And I remind myself every morning that, you know, God has given me life and I've opened my eyes. It's his grace and mercy that allowed me to wake up. It's true. If you know what I was like before I got married, I don't even deserve to be alive. But I'm not going to give the devil an opportunity to, you know, I'm not here to praise the devil for his work. I'm here to praise Jesus for his work. And I have been redeemed from where I came from, right? But I shouldn't be alive here. So when I wake up in the morning, I thank God, hey, thank you, thank you, Lord, for, you know, for giving me another day here. <laughs> Show me how to be happy and joyful here today, you know. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. A nurse at the VA hospital told the chaplain that the patients were being unkind to her. I hear this from my wife most of the time, and sometimes from Nelva, from Edith, you know. And, and the patients were speaking down to them, down to her, in bad language. They were being abusive. I, I'm Nelva, you can identify with this, right? I mean, they need help, and they're abusing the people that are trying to help them. You know, that this was very upsetting. So the chaplain said, praise the Lord. And the nurse asked, what is there to praise? And the chaplain said this, when someone bumps into you, when you're holding a glass, what spills out of the glass is what's inside. When people misjudge and persecute you, which they will do, when they persecute us, we soon reveal what's in our heart. If we are in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, we will manifest gentleness and meekness of our Savior. In fact, God often allows us to be pushed around and mistreated so that unsaved men may be astonished at his grace as we overflow with love and forbearance. See, this is a great opportunity to show them what's inside of you. Show them your graciousness. Paul wants us to be sure and show everyone how gracious we are for the same reason. The one time I hang with unhappy people is when I'm trying to make them happy. Right? As a pastor, that's my duty. So somebody's unhappy, I try to make them happy. Otherwise, I stay away from them. Because I don't want their doom and gloom to rub off on me. Did you know that attitudes and behaviors are catchy? 
Yes, they are. In general, I like to hang out with happy people. Like my wife, Nelva, Mike, Edith, you know, they are, just to name a few, there are a lot of you in, in this church who are happy. You know, I come in and I see uh, Jedi, and she's always happy, and it bugs me when she's not. Uh, you know, I go ask, hey, what's up? Right? The smile on their face, the vibrant people. I like hanging out with people like that. I love uncomplicated people because it is so easy to hang with them. They don't go looking for trouble. You can talk to them openly, and if you offend them, they will tell you right then and there. Right? I can say I'm sorry, and they will say I accept your apology. I've seen Edith do that. Let's, and let's, say, let's move on. They don't hold things against you because they understand grace and mercy. I like people who remember who they were and are constantly rejoicing in the fact that God's grace and mercy prevails. There is no pride in them because they did not pay for their sins, nor did they earn their salvation. They understand that people will fail and they are ever willing to forgive because they are conscious of the forgiveness they have received. They can identify with people's faults because they are aware how faulty they can be. You know, every now and again I get to see Diane and she's got this wonderful smile on her face. And through her circumstances she knows how to be glad and happy. And, and you know, she has much to be grateful about because she's aware of who she is. It's amazing. These people, I love them. And get along. They know how to get along. They are gracious people and they attract people to themselves like magnets. Have you seen that? It's amazing. When people see you in fellowship and harmony, extending grace to one another, they will want to be a part of who you are. You see, happiness is a perfume. It's a perfume you cannot pour out on others without getting a few drops on yourself. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer, and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, this thanksgiving, we have lots to be thankful about. Lots of things to be thankful about. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As we bring this to a close, I feel that there may be a few people here experiencing conflict and to worry perhaps a little, a different kind of tension in the family at work. You know, but I, and I see how serious you all have got. And I'm glad you're looking serious because that means you listen to what I had to say. So I want you to turn around to your neighbor and say, would you please smile? That's amazing, isn't it? Now everybody is smiling. Now we're a happy church. Amen. <laughs> But there are some of you who understand what I'm talking about, okay? You have family problems, you have tensions at home, maybe it's not in church, maybe it's at home. Maybe you have tensions at work with your relationships. Or maybe you have tensions in the church that you're not talking about. No? 
Young ladies, maybe your boyfriend has got left you or something, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever kind of problems you have. But, but you understand what I'm talking about, right? The tensions in life that you experience, maybe at a workplace, at school, you know, maybe your teacher's being nasty, I, I don't know. But I feel that there are people here who have those tensions. I know Kimi Lagan has tensions at work because she works in a prison. And prisoners are not nice people. So she has to be really extra super nice. And I don't know how she does it, but at work she's super nice and when she comes out she leashes out her stress. And fortunately she doesn't do it on our life group, but she, you know, she has a way of handling it and she handles it very well. Okay. For the most part that's why you see her overly overjoyed because it's one way of coping with the stresses at work. No, when people are nasty to you, you, you bear it up and you, you're gracious and then you come out and you need to let it go anywhere. Somewhere down the line you need to scream and say, help, I know Edith does that. <laughs> oh boy, now I'm going to lose some friends today. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying, okay? Listen up. Can you accept the fact that you're 1% responsible for that tension? Just 1%. Without arguments, let's say, okay, let, let's say that the other folks are 99% responsible, but would you take on 1% of the responsibility? I think you can safely say you can, right? Maybe 1%. Okay. I need you to let you know that as long as you try to solve that problem, you're the only person who will be solving that problem, no matter how much you pray. You can pray as much as you want, but as long as you are taking care of that problem yourself, it's not going to go anywhere. Because you will be the only person who will be doing it. Okay? But if you allow God, who loves you very dearly, and who wants to solve your problems, says, come unto me all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He loves you, and he loves you very much. You need to know that God loves you, regardless. I can tell you that because of who I was. He loves me. Okay. We don't come, we are not born into this world perfect. We all have our faults, don't we? But God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. If you are able to have God take care of your problem, here's what you need to do. Okay? The, to solve this issue that you have, you will need to release the issue to God. Now, when you release something, it means, like, if I take this, if this is my problem and I give it to Ed, do I have it anymore? I can't do anything with it, right? Because I have released it. You understand what I'm saying? I have released it to him. You need to do that. Now, it's not that easy. You release it to him and then come to him on his terms. God has certain terms that you need to follow. And you're not going to like this. But you want to solve your problem? You got to do this. Release it to him. And then come to him. Confess your part in prayer. 
You don't have to confess it to me. You don't have to confess it to somebody else. Confess it to God. He can hear you. He's waiting to hear from you. And invite him to take this issue over. And then resolve in your heart to love that person unconditionally. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not asking you to hang out with that person. I'm not asking you to take that person out to dinner or fellowship with that person. What I'm asking you to do is, in your, in your heart, resolve in your mind to love that person unconditionally. Why? Why? Because they deserve to be loved? No. It's because God loved you when you did not deserve to be loved. And unless you come to that in, on, on God's terms, nothing is going to happen. But if you come to this situation, take this situation to God, on His terms, God is bigger than all of us. You should know that by now, right? Amen. You need to do this. Don't put it off. Okay? We're going to do some praying today, right? These are sensitive things, so I'm not going to ask you to stand or anything like that. But I do want to pray for somebody here today. And uh, after that, I'm going to pray for you. And I would like Pastor Janet to join me, please. Uh, just give us a moment, because this is an important moment. And uh, we wanted, I want to take this opportunity to do this. Um, and uh, Pastor Janet, would you join me? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> and as a family, as a church family, we, are, uh, we come to you because you know Diane's condition. Uh, we have prayed. We have prayed for her complete healing. And we still believe, Father, that, you know, tomorrow morning or right now, she could wake up, get up, and she could be healed from her head to her toe. We know that you can do this. But today we're asking for something different. We're asking our Father that as this disease is spreading through her body, that you give her the capacity to cope with whatever life is giving her. We pray that this pain will be taken away from her permanently in the name of Jesus. We stand together as a family and ask you, Father, that open the windows of heaven. Pour your compassion and grace on Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.